Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Well, today we're in beautiful Wollongong, about an hour and a half south of Sydney, talking to Dave Milne about tracking our progress down under. Multiplication uh, began quite a long time ago for me. Uh, in about 94, 95, God got my attention um, as an emerging evangelist that we really weren't just to uh, evangelize people, we were meant to disciple people. Mm. And then I became aware that the Great Commission has got this built-in pattern of multiplication. So we've kind of been on a, on a, on a long journey looking for methods or processes or um, a spirituality that, that would enable us to multiply disciples. And the first, um, I, I guess, group that I saw doing this well many years ago were the, were the cell church guys. So we got involved with uh, cell church because the idea was that the substance of church could remain the same, but the form of church could morph into any discipling kind of need or pattern that was appropriate to the target group. Um, Anyway, we, we began down that line, but we really didn't find the kind of success that we would have liked through the cell church paradigm in the Australian context, probably because we were comparing ourselves with the best examples of cell church around the world against what we were learning and finding here in Australia. Um, and uh, I guess it's true to say we were pretty disillusioned at a, at a point. And then um, uh, this gentleman, Steve Addison in about 2011 rang me up and said, Dave, do you want to come up and learn about T4T? And I, and I said, T4 what? <laughs> and so we, we got together and that began a journey looking at CPM, church planning movements, from about 2011, 2012, that really put together some of the pieces that we'd been learning in our cell church days and built them into a, a coherent, prayerful, Christ-centred uh, paradigm that, that gave us a track to run on and and a way to get started. Um, so, you know, around that time, we realised that there were some things we were doing well and we were doing, um, and there were some things we really weren't doing at, at all that we should have been doing when we, when we compare what we're doing in Soul Church over and against the CPM paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess that was, the, that was the entry and it's been a long journey up till now. Okay. And I really had no no idea what T4T was at that time. Um, but we, we'd come across George Patterson's Seven Commands of Christ through some early CRM material, and we'd used some of that, and I'd given that away to a few people for them to try. And then after that experience, I think late 2011, we had Bill Smith out in 2012 around about the June, and that, that was a life-changing event. You know, you go and spend two weeks with someone like one like Bill and a bunch of other keen beans and you you start learning stories, uh, memorising stories and it just started to change the way we thought about things and, and, and I guess the key thing that we learned at that point was wide sewing. Um, wasn't the first time I'd heard about it but truly we didn't know how to do it and we learnt some things about wide sewing and we got some ideas about how to get started that weren't culturally weird um, they were quite appropriate, and we began widely saying the gospel, and that that's been transformative. 
I would say we're not really as excited about it as we would like uh, to be in terms of multiplication of churches. Um, however, the thing that actually has happened is that there are a lot more people now sharing a lot more gospel. And while we've got more prayer happening, I think we could be doing uh, better things with our prayer. But we are we are baptising more people and the people we've trained are now baptising people. Um and the people that they've trained are now also propagating some of the CPM paradigm as they understand it through their Christian network and through their non-Christian network. So we're seeing uh, a ripple out effect uh, and m- numbers of churches starting to pick this up, but not as many as we would would, would like, but uh, it, it's certainly growing. Yeah. Okay. Well, the impetus for the research was, uh, uh, created because I'm I'm in some online dialogues with a variety of people across Australia, and um, anecdotally I was hearing that we were sharing faith. Some people were making commitments to Christ, but we really weren't finding it easy to form new churches and then multiply those churches. So we're kind of hearing that anecdotally, and I thought, well, let's go and find out really what's happening out in the field. Um, and so it was. I guess from not hearing as many good stories as I would like that that uh, we went to do the research to try and add some rigour to what was becoming a significant investment uh, for a lot of people. Um, and late 2016, I heard about one group who who were saying, look, yeah, we have multiplied churches. We are getting to second and third generation Um among uh, 16 churches, a second and uh, a second or third generation, and I wanted to try and find some good stories to help the rest of us get better at what we were doing. So I went and conducted some semi-structured interviews with people who were, oh, you know, fairly serious practitioners with a lot of skin in the game. Mm. Okay. And what did you learn from that whole ex- that research? Um, what did I learn? Well. I guess just to give you an overview, first of all, um, I interviewed 14 14 groups and conducted 17 interviews across those 14 groups. And I found that of those 14 groups, um, primarily who are represented by the individuals or leaders that that I interviewed, or perhaps a couple that I interviewed, they have between them 151 uh, groups or churches with around about 550 people in those those groups and churches, uh, around about 10% of that cohort was baptised in the last two years. And um, so they are starting to form groups. Of, of the 14 that I interviewed, all, 13 of the 14 actually had formed first-generation groups and five of them had second-generation groups and two of them had third-generation groups. Uh, and there were two stories in particular that were quite outstanding, I think, compared to the others of us who have been pra- practising. And I then um, really focused quite heavily on interviewing those two particular ministry groups to find out what was going on for them to help us understand some of the principles that might work in Australia. Mm. So that was my approach. Okay, so what did you learn from those two standout groups? Um, one, one group are working in a university 
So they're working among foreign and overseas students primarily. So the target group is a group that's uh, well known to be quite open to the gospel, quite responsive to the gospel. And um, they began a transition toward the CPM, Father's Heart, Four Fields paradigm in around about 2012, 2013. And uh, they've had some quite significant success. So before applying these simple CPM principles, they were seeing about 20 people make a commitment to Christ Branham. But since they applied the, the patterns, they saw 30 in 2014, 60 commitments in 2015, and then 97 in 16. So 30, 60, 97. That's a pity the last one wasn't 100 because then it would be 30, 60, or 100-fold. <laughs> um, and, and, and so they were seeing, and most of those commitments to Christ were instigated through students who had been trained. So mm. as they equipped students, gave them a vision that they could do this, gave them some simple tools to do this, and then anticipated that they would immediately share their experience of Jesus and a gospel of Jesus' message with their friends. They began to see momentum and they began to see people become followers of Jesus. And then last year, for example, in May they had 18 groups, but by October they had 50 groups. So they were then learning how to form those students who are making commitments to Christ into groups. And this seemed to be happening as students um, could see other students who just become followers of Jesus starting to lead, lead a group, and they thought, oh, I can do this, because, and they were then willing to have a go themselves. Mm. Um, so there was a visible group of people who were doing this, available on campus. Most of these groups were happening on campus, plus a continuous reinforcing of the vision from the front in a large meeting that they held once a week and a continuous reiteration of the principles and the practices and the process through training. Uh, and this then, you know, has, has begun to gather momentum. It's very exciting. And uh, uh, my, my friend who I interview here would be pointing to God and uh, pointing to the fact that they've been prayerful and that it's a blessing of God and that he's actually working through the students um, mm. to bring about this kind of dynamic momentum. Okay. And how about the other group? What what did you learn from them? Um, the other group are working um, with, with migrants and lower socioeconomic Australians and also now starting to, to work among middle Australia, middle, middle to upper class Australia. So up until about 2013, they were seeing 10 churches form per annum. 10 to 20 churches perform per annum. But last last year between, say, May, sorry, J January and October, they saw about 50 formed. Mm -hmm. Now, that, that's been typical, I think, for the last three years or so, fairly significant numbers of churches being formed. And so I asked, what, what changed for you between, say, 2012 when you were getting 10 to 20 and today when you're getting up to 50 or more just between January and October. And um, this, this group have been probably practising CPM principles in Australia for longer than anyone else, so they've mm -hmm. persevered for a long time. Mm. God has honed them. Uh, I, I'd say my friend would say we've, he's humbled. <laughs> he would say nothing happens without the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, uh, but then I, I asked, well, what are you doing differently? You must be doing something differently. 
And he said, well, a person of peace search for us is really an opportunity to go for a walk around our community and love people. Mm-hmm. So when we're walking around our community, we're not so much looking for targets to download gospel. We're looking for opportunities to be a blessing in the community, to connect with people, and we'll share, we'll share Jesus, a message of Jesus with them when we can. Mm. Um, and so, so that, that's been a, sh- a shift for them. But you've got to realise that they've had standard CPM principles and framework operating for quite a long time. So that's just the last, that's one of the last tweaks. The other tweak that they added that made them fruitful was I think they honed their gospel presentation to being something more effective for Australia. And it's not a, a simple, small gospel presentation. It actually involves three facets. And um, my friend was using three circles as a filter to find people who were interested to know some more. He didn't feel that there was probably enough information in the three circles presentation for someone to make a commitment to Christ. So he would find people who would respond to the three circles message and and they would say, yes, I'd like to be in the circle back here with God. And he'd say, okay, well, let's go and talk some more. He'd take them aside, then draw on another gospel presentation such as share Jesus without fear and and slow it down and get them into some Bible passages um, or the Roman road or what have Romans road mm-hmm. or what have you, and get them interacting with text more slowly. And then after doing that, he would take them to uh, a little um, drawing called Lordship Circles that helps them understand what it means to actually invite Jesus into the centre of your life as Lord. And he said these two visual tools, three circles plus the Lordship Circles, mm. were really helpful in helping crystallise what it meant to actually invite Jesus up front into your life as Lord. And and in that gospel presentation, he's front-loading all aspects of the gospel. He's front-loading baptism. Mm -hmm. He's front-loading obedience. He's front-loading three circles has going and sharing what you know of God. Mm -hmm. So these things aren't added on later on as a surprise. They're Mm -hmm. actually all part of the original gospel presentation. And so when people were saying yes, they really knew what they were saying yes to. Um, and so, and and because these tools were were clear, they the people who had learnt them um, and made a commitment to Christ were then able to take them straight into their oikos or into their friendship network and begin to pay the message forward down the line. Mm-hmm. So that that was around group formation. He was doing some slightly different things to other people um, in that gospel presentation, but also I would say. Um, in terms of how do you form your groups, other people were trying to amalgamate non-homogenous group people or friendships into mm. one group, whereas he would just work with the friendship group rather than try and combine disparate people groups. Over time, he had found that that didn't work. Mm. So, okay, your oikos, who's in your oikos? Um, tell me about your oikos. When when do you meet? Uh, when do you meet normally? Well, we meet around meal times. We meet. Okay. Well, let's add church to when you're already meeting, mm. rather than try and create a separate time to do church. And so church was often happening within family groups around meal times, mm-hmm. and that little that little tweak seemed to quite work quite well for them. So, mm. how big does the church grow? Well, how big is the oikos? If it's in a, a church among Australians. The church might be four, five, or six people. 
the oikos is not particularly big, maybe three people. But if it's among perhaps some of the new Australians where the oikos is quite big, the church mm-hmm. is quite large. So my friend relates one church group with 12 people coming to visit him and that's just one family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's okay. a lot of people in, in some of those, those church, church groups. The smaller groups, is he finding they're viable? Because I know in some other fields they're sort of saying, well, we can get a group started with three or four people, but uh, if we can't get to five or six, you know, either couples or singles, you know, as units, if we can't get to that threshold, it's very hard longer term for it to sustain. Do you know, uh, is there enough information to know if that's the case? I, I think there's some information, but um, because the research is limited in terms of its self-report um, mm. and it's done in a time frame, really some more investigation could be done in that area. But mm. I did ask that question, um, and my friend said that uh, small groups can last for a long time if there's genuine uh, fellowship and koinonia within the group, if they really get fellowship mm-hmm. with Christ, if they really get fellowship with Jesus, they, they will stick. Um, he spoke of the competing dominant attractional church paradigm as being the main concern, uh, that he was he was losing people into the into the conventional or traditional mm-hmm. church after maybe three generations if they are Australians or maybe six generations if they were not Australians, uh, not, not, sorry, not um, of, of um, new Australian yeah. background. Yeah, not Australian born. Yeah, so I do think that there's uh, a contribution of the small size, mm. um, it, it would appear, and I and I think that we do have a problem in Australia uh, among Australian-born people of um, having small icoses that are fragmented. Um, and, and, you know, for example, if you and I were to draw out our oikos map, some of the people within our oikos map, they may not actually know each other. We're the, mm. we're the only connecting point that they yeah. have, and that's very typical Whereas in some of these ethnic communities, that's not the case. Mm. Or in the village mm. situation, it's not the case. People tend to know each other quite well. So we've got some issues in Australia in terms of the the fragmented and the low social cohesion within our networks that need to be worked on and, and resolved. Um, so yeah. you've sort of taken the – it's still early days in Australia, but you've yes. taken the pulse – of where people are applying the training and, and going after multiplication, no place left. What do you think we're doing well? Um, well, of the 14 people I spoke to, all of them have a wide set of people that they're now connecting with, more so than they would have been before they began interacting within the CPM or DMM framework. Mm. So extraordinary number of connections. Um, There are people being prayed for in the street. Uh, People are hearing gospel in the street. People's friends are now hearing more gospel than they perhaps would have been. So I think we're doing quadrants one and two quite quite well um, in terms of getting out there and connecting and sewing. just one other thing that I would say about the the good case study in Australia is that um, he was working toward multiplication through helping people 
understand lostness and own lostness personally. So if you start, say, a first-generation church, they were competent to start or, or, or would, would initiate engagements in second and third-generation church starting once they took ownership for lostness. Mm. So you could tell them the parable, say, of the lost son or lost coin. It's a little bit abstract. But if you say, well, who are the people that you know who are far from God and what, what's their destiny without Christ? Mm. And if they own that lostness, they'd pay it forward. So you've got there's a pocket of doing something really well that helps the new help the new generation um, pay it pay it forward. The thing I think we're doing well is we actually are starting to form first generation groups. So all, all the people except one uh, admitted having first generation groups. The person who said they didn't have any was being pretty hard on themselves, mm. and um, others might have counted it. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, they everyone's got first generation groups and that's a very exciting thing so i'm 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 excited about that but really there's only a few who are starting to see multiplication yeah what do you what do you think needs to be different or what do we need more of so the first one is this i think that our church formation lessons have to take into account some of the idiosyncrasies of the australian post christian post church context um, and they have to, I think, undo some of the old paradigm of church and they have to allow people to actually f- form a community. So when, when Jesus refers to church in the New Testament, his favourite paradigm or image for church is family, mm-hmm. brothers and sisters, and that was the tightest relational bond in the ancient world. And I think that many of the people in Australia and even some of our CPM friends, me included, when we think of church, we think of a voluntary gathering that is an optional gathering for me that I may or may not go to if I choose to. Whereas church, if, I, if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we're, we're, we're going to stick together. We're like glue. We've got skin in the game on each other's behalf. Mm. We're, we're going to be for each other fully. And I think that that we've divorced salvation from our church. You know, soteriology and ecclesiology are divorced in a lot of our gospel presentations, they need to be intrinsically linked. Mm. So our church formation actually has to help people understand that. Now that that's some speculation there. Mm-hmm. And I think there are probably other things that could be included in your church formation lessons that may undo some of the issues with, with cohesion. The second thing I think we can do is um, explore uh, small house church type gatherings and larger, larger social space type gatherings, so that people see that they're not part of just. So they see they're part of something bigger. The danger here is that the larger meeting will very quickly trump the smaller meeting, and the responsibility that people take in the smaller meeting to pay for the gospel um, could could be eclipsed by the attendance at the large meeting. It tends to actually um, absorb a lot of resources. So we need to find a way of doing larger meetings that that don't detract from our capacity and our concern for lostness. Mm. That's 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 critical. And there are some models out there that a few people are starting to explore with, and I'm pretty excited um, mm. about that. Um, the next thing I think is uh, to provide good mentoring for our church leaders, and you know make sure we're looking after our church leaders. And not and not 
um, let them go too early off on their own, but to continue to mentor those individuals well with one-on-one support after the church starts. And I, I think maybe some of us are releasing people a little bit early mm-hmm. to go off and do this. So they're, so they're three domains that I think we could work on um, around the church formation. Um, and the last thing that I think is a matter of process, and a lot of us have been doing iron-on-irons mm-hmm. where we would get together and we'd talk about what we're doing, what we're learning, but it seems to me that when we've been doing those, we perhaps move too quickly through people's stories. We move too quickly through what they're learning and what they're stuck. And I think we need to go slower and allow people more time to unpack really what's going on so we can get in touch mm-hmm. with where they're really seeing success and where they're really stuck. Mm-hmm. So I don't think anyone's really cracking it in the post-Christian urban context. Mm-hmm. Not, not here yet. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple of good stories from overseas and we can learn from them. Um, but I think that team of teams and group learning kind of context is quite important. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I haven't mentioned till now is that it seems that people who do well have got good mentors and are part of a learning team. Mm-hmm. So some of the guys who I felt were really struggling in the interview process were very isolated, mm. had no mentors mm. and didn't team much. Mm. But those that seemed to be doing well had mentors, were involved in dialogue, had done hard yards but had persevered. And so, when, you know, when I asked guys, you know, some of the guys who are level five really senior guys offshore, they mentioned six to eight years uh, in a Western context seems to lead toward breakthrough. So that doesn't mean that each of us needs to be in the field for six to eight years. It just means that some of us do to find out what to do so that others who come on board can quickly start to learn. Mm-hmm.